Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Thank you so much for joining us on this special edition, this special live edition of our Good Fight Ministries channel. Not necessarily the Good Fight radio show, but I guess you guys will be hearing this on podcast as well. But we want to thank you so much for joining us. My name is Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And with me, as always, is the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. How are we doing today? Wonderfully blessed, brother. Amen. Amen. And we're going to be taking some of your questions today, and I'm excited to be able to dig in here with you guys. And so I see that a lot of you guys are already joining and saying hello on the live stream. So we want to praise God for you. And thank you so much for joining us. We have a number of questions that came in during the week as we brought up a few questions. And we wanted to let you know that for the next three weeks, you are getting three straight live shows on Thursday. This is the first set of it, and we're dealing with the topic of soteriology. And so when we talk about the topic of soteriology, I know it may sound like a big word, but really it's the doctrine of salvation, how God saves man. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Some of the things where we hold convictions as a ministry and what we believe, as well as some arguments, some things have been brought forth and some practical teaching as well regarding, hey, when it comes to how much I sin and so forth, what does that mean about my salvation? And so we're going to be talking about that. And these questions are really, really important. And if you guys have been watching Good Fight Ministries at all, if you've been watching the Good Fight Radio Show, make sure you guys first and foremost go and subscribe to the Good Fight Radio Show. That's separate than what you're watching this on right now, the Good Fight Ministries YouTube channel. Go subscribe to Good Fight Radio Show as well. And if you would like, try to try to go over to patreon.com slash goodfight and become a Patreon subscriber with us. It's been a blessing. We just got our 80th subscriber just yesterday. So we are so blessed by you guys. And a lot of the questions you're going to hear tonight come from our Patreon. And hopefully we'll also be answering some more that I find out on here as well, or that I find on here as well in the chat, Joe. So I wanted to just give a few announcements before we get into the first big question that we have uh, soteriologically, because it really does deal with the doctrine of salvation and sovereignty and a bunch of different things. So we're going to talk about that, but we have a few announcements of things we're working on. I know, Joe, one of the reasons we're doing these live show uh, for the next three weeks, and they're going to be on really important topics. I think you guys are going to be blessed by them. But one of the reasons we're doing this is so that you can have some more time specifically uh, working on Marvel in DC, which we're working on right now. So maybe just give a short update without giving too much information about how that's been going. All right. Didn't know that was coming, but <laughs> it's I'm swimming in that stuff, man. It's like uh, swimming in a cesspool. So uh, it's going well. I'm uh, real excited to you know expose what we found. Uh, I think it's going to shock a lot of people. It's going to break a lot of hearts, uh, but hearts need to be broken. These are the modern idols, many of these uh, superheroes, you know, and we're not saying, you know, if somebody watches a movie with a superhero in it that all of a sudden they're damned. That's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is that as as Christians, we ought to be aware that we are involved in spiritual warfare and Satan uses images. He 
took Jesus before the kingdoms of the world and showed them, showed them to him in a moment's time, kind of like a, perhaps a movie or what have you. That's in Luke 4. It says that he did that in a moment's time. And it was to use deception. So we are very naive as believers if we don't believe that Satan uses movies and music and things that move us. That's what he's all about. He's a prince of the power of the air. And of course, he is going to use uh, the modern day, I mean, the superheroes of today. Many times they are basically constructed on the basis of, of uh, gods of the past. And guess what? The gospel spread throughout the world. People turned from their Greek gods, their Roman gods, their Norse gods, their their Druidic gods, their, their, their American Indian gods, their Japanese gods, their Chinese, you know, to the true and living God from their idols. Now they're being repackaged in the form of, uh, you know, superheroes. And while a lot of people won't bow down before these superheroes, uh, basically there's a continuous message of conditioning that God is evil. Uh, I'm not going to get too deep into it, <laughs> but many of the uh, wicked, you know, tyrants, the the evil gods and the evil superheroes are not really superheroes uh, are characterized with their package to look and emphasize Christ likeness in certain ways, quoting the Bible scriptures and things of that nature where the superheroes are often, well, just, you know, <laughs> if you've seen some of the movies, you've probably noticed that, wow, what is going on here, man? It's like that, that, that wicked superheroes quoting scripture. Uh, it's quite crazy. So I, I can't wait till we get into it. It's so deep, but I basically show the influence of the Satanist Aleister Crowley doesn't just influence movies and music like we've exposed, but also some of the top writers, the top writers in comics. Now, and that's why I wanted you to bring it up because I want people to see some of the stuff that we're working on alongside the Good Fight Radio Show, alongside what we're doing at Blessed Hope Chapel and some of the church planning. And we're actually going to be going out to visit three of our churches out in New York in August. And we're going to be doing a little conference there as well. So we're excited about that. And we'll be also heading out to Texas sometime in October. That one's not as nailed down, but we're get, we're working on it. And part of that will be hopefully getting out a lot of the Marvel stuff at that time. I'll be doing a live presentation in Texas, you know? And yeah, yeah, so, exactly. And probably doing something on it in New York as well. So we'll see. No, see, that's even news to me. So we're working on all this stuff and hope you guys are blessed. And also tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., we will be premiering you guys get to check it out on this channel here we're going to be exposing megan fox and machine gun kelly megan fox recently taking ayahuasca and and admittedly going to eternal hell she talks about and uh, machine gun kelly being a devil worshiper and that's not even quoting me but you have to check it out in the morning if you want to see who that's actually quoting but we're excited, and like I said, I wanted to give all, all this information out to you guys before we start, because we have a number of people coming in, and I hate for people to miss the live stream when they get a chance, so I'm excited to talk about this topic. This is a very important topic. Uh, when we talk about this first question that we're dealing with, we talk about the very nature of God and who He is and what He has created as well, and this question comes alongside, I guess you would say, uh, a quotation from a text. And I'm going to read from that. And after I read from that question, Joe is going to be giving his answer as to whether or not God actually created evil itself. So this question stems typically from a Calvinistic perspective when I've heard it. But I've also heard, and in fact, we had people comment, I'm not a Calvinist, but clearly Isaiah 45, 7 is saying that God is actually the creator of evil. So we're going to we're going to read from that text. You guys can read it. And if you don't know, I'm reading from the King James Version here. It says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. 
I, the Lord, do all these things. So with all of that, Joe, therefore, the God is the creator of evil. Is that right? Well, since you got Bible Hub open, I see. <laughs> I'll quote any other translation than the King James, bro. That'll help us out. Well, let's beginning. do the uh, elect standard pretty, version. Pretty much any other the, translation. The elect standard version, the ESV, uh, or that's English uh, standard uh, version. No, we're still kidding. Calvinistic translation. Go ahead. And try, I love, go, I actually really like the ESV. It's got some good, good translation. It says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. Ah, so uh, most translators understand that when, uh, and even a lot of people that use the King James Bible, they'll point out that that's not speaking of moral evil, you know, right. most theologians. When we're talking about, did God create evil? That's the question. If you're talking about evil, meaning calamity or, or judgment or destruction, I did a whole message on that passage, by the way, which I'm not going to, I didn't even look at those old notes because I encourage people to go back to that message on whether or not God created evil and I actually go through that passage, which shows you that God is against evil and moral evil, that is. And the word means calamity. He's talking about judgment in that context. He judges evil. Not talking about moral evil where people make decisions to do things that are evil or wicked or wrong. Uh, it's impossible for God to create moral evil. Uh, that's like saying, did God, did the devil create goodness? Did the devil create righteousness? Well, Jesus spoke of Satan's nature in John 8, 44, that he's the father of lies. He's a murderer from the beginning. That he doesn't do, he can't do anything good. Jesus says because Basically, Jesus says his nature is evil, you know? Uh, that's who he is. Well, God's nature is purely good. He's absolutely righteous. Uh, so there's not a scintilla of evil in him. The Bible says God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. There's no capacity within his nature to create moral evil. In fact, when we ask the question, what is moral evil? It shows you that it's an absolute contradiction to say that God created it because moral evil is to decide against God's will. It's to, to break his commandments of love the Lord your God with your whole heart and soul and strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself, the second of the greatest commandments, as Jesus said. So to create evil, God would have to be schizophrenic. He would have to go against his own nature and break his own moral law. And, uh, or, and by the way, the Bible says that God can't do that. And people say there's things that God cannot do. Yeah, there's, he cannot lie, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. He can't deny himself, it says in Timothy. It says in uh, those two books, we've got some strong cannots, but you also have a really good one in uh, the book of James, 1, 12 through 14 or 15 there, that God doesn't tempt anyone. Uh, he can't be tempted, it says, and he doesn't tempt anyone to do evil either. So it's very important that we understand that. And in James, before that, you have a an ontological statement about the Lord, that he's the father of lights and and there's no there's no shadow of turning in him. So he doesn't change. He's perfectly righteous and holy and faithful. He's holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. So certainly he doesn't create evil. Again, evil is that which is against God. Okay? All evil, moral evil, one way or another, is against God, and God is not against himself. Uh, so it's important that we understand that as well. Now, did God create a world that has the capacity for free moral agents to choose evil? Absolutely. And he did for so for a reason, because if uh, when God gives us a choice to love him or not, he created us in his image. And as his image bearers, we have choices we can make between good and evil. He encouraged, for instance, our human ancestors, the first ones, Adam and Eve, not to partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He, in fact, he gave them free will, but uh, his the freedom that they had was to choose. And a Calvinist can't say, 
Well, they couldn't choose because, you know, everybody has a fallen nature. You kidding? They didn't have a fallen nature yet. Okay? They weren't predetermined to do evil. And some Calvinists will admit that God in some way is the author of evil, or they'll say, basically, even Calvin, that he's the author of evil, but then say, oh, but he's not. And uh, because they want, every, they say everything's predetermined. So obviously, if there's a first cause between every, if every evil choice against God's will is predetermined and somebody could not choose to do anything but what they've done, that's what Calvinism teaches, then God would be the author of evil. There's no way around it. But the scriptures tell us that our, 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 our choices are real, uh, that God is opposed to them, warns us not to choose evil, warns us that if we do, there will be severe consequences, and there's even hell because of sin. So God certainly, uh, God, Jesus weeps, you know, the Lord weeps and his heart breaks through the prophets like Jeremiah over sin, crying out to the people to, to repent and turn from evil. So the Bible does teach that there's a capacity that God's created us uh, in such a way where we can choose evil, but that is necessitated by the reality that the only way we can truly love God is if we have a choice. It's just like, you know, Chad, you're married, I'm married. Uh, if we could program our wives to only love us and only ever say nice things to us uh, and perfectly, 100%, you know, a Stepford Wives kind of thing, program a chip in there, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be real love because they would just be doing what the chip said to do and they wouldn't be real. God's made us real. So we can reciprocate his love or not. We could choose to love him or we could choose not to love him. So by, and that's because God wanted us, wanted all kinds of people, millions and millions and millions and millions of people to make up the bride of Christ who chose to, first of all, be forgiven through the grace that would come, through the conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit, and accept his love and be transformed by his grace, whereby we can love him the way he created us to love him. But we have a choice as to whether we can do that or not. So by the fact that we have a choice to love him or not, that shows you adversely to loving him. And what is the opposite of loving him? That is evil. To not love God and do my own thing is evil. So God's created the capacity for us to be able to do evil, but he's called us not to do evil. At the same time, well, why did he do that then? Because he wants a bride for his son. Because he wants a people for himself that freely choose to love him. And Well, why did he create the world in such a way where people would fall, be allowed to fall? You know, well, because he didn't just want a bride. He wanted a bride that he could redeem and that he could shower his love upon, that could know his love through redemption. And it's so beautiful in that he could take the evil that people have done against each other as well and use that evil for his good in his sovereignty. That just blows me away. So, I mean, we're going to get now into theodicy and everything, which the question is, it kind of lends itself, obviously, to theodicy and so forth, the defense of God's character. But you want to make sure you defend not just God's power, okay? He's all-powerful. He's almighty God. In fact, he's more powerful than our brothers and sisters who are Calvinists understand because they have him as a scriptwriter detailing every little thing in the script because he can't handle free will, because he couldn't know the future. Calvinists are like process theologians in this sense. They say, well, if, if God didn't predetermine everything, how could he know the future? Calvin himself said that. And I can quote top Calvinists who said that. They're basically doing what the process theologians are saying. They're limiting God. We believe that God's far bigger than that because he can know what people will freely choose. He knows everything everybody will freely choose. But he capitalizes that and says, okay, you're going to choose that evil. Here's the consequence to your, your sin. I have grace for you, but if you reject it, you're going to pay your, pay the consequence. However, I have grace for everybody, all humans that have fallen to where we can be saved and redeemed and know him as our redeemer. And guess what? That very, it's like the oyster with that, that, oh, that grain of sand, you know, and it's just such an irritant, but the Lord could have just jettisoned us, you know, and destroyed us, but he secretes his love over us, sends his son, redeems us and turns us into his jewels. Like an oyster turns a piece of sand into 
a pearl because he makes all things beautiful in his time. So he's got it all under control, even evil. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. We were just sharing the gospel out on the streets of Costa Rica, and there was a, a guy there, and he was like, well, God has two parts. You know, he's part evil, part good, and so forth. And I explained mm. to him, you know, that the, the fact is, is that God is good and evil is a privation of that good, right? Yeah. It's the absence of that good, the ultimate absence of, of that good. And one of the things I equated that to as well is you can have all good, but you can't have the counterfeit, right, by itself. So something could copy the good, right, and, and, and be close to the good, but you can't have a counterfeit bill by itself because you have nothing to copy it from to be different from. So literally, you can have only good, but you can't have only evil outside of God himself from that goodness, something to corrupt from that goodness, which the counterfeit is the corruption of that, which right. is and good. I agree to a degree. It's a privation of good, yeah. but it's also a choice, a choice yeah. to reject the good and choose that which is contrary to it, which is basically the same thing, but it has feet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's privation of good with feet. Yeah. Amen. Amen. No, without without a doubt. And I think these things are really important to discuss because, I mean, we have believers, guys who love the Lord and love the word. And they're saying, hey, you know what? I think these things are obviously, you know, God had created everything. So, of course, he created evil and so forth. So, you know what? Just this is really, really important for us to, to talk about because we don't want people being confused about that and thinking that God is the author of evil. Absolutely not. That's with, like so contrary to the God of the Bible. Created everything good. Yeah. Amen. And, you know, we have uh, another question that came in. This one came from our Patreon subscriber, Crystal. And we want to thank you so much, Crystal, for being a subscriber on Patreon. And she asked this. And so I I wanted to lay this out in case you guys are new to Good Fight Ministries. If you guys didn't know, we hold to uh, the doctrine of conditional security in terms of salvation. We do not believe in what is known as one save, always save, or perseverance of the saints. So when I read this question, know that that's where we're coming from, uh, from a biblical perspective. And so Crystal asks, how would you respond to a once save, always save believer who says that believing otherwise, believing something other than once saved, always saved, is taking away from Christ's power? If you don't accept once save, always saved, then you are not accepting his sacrifice and are saying that it was not enough. How would you respond to someone who brought up that accusation? Yeah, if I was talking to a Calvinist brother or sister who had said that, that you have to believe in once saved, always saved. You have to believe that once you're saved, whatever you do and however wicked you become or whatever, uh, you're, you're still saved no matter what, even if you reject the faith or or you have to believe that you will automatically persevere now because of irresistible grace and you won't ever fall away. And uh, Otherwise, you're rejecting God's power because then you're rejecting you know the, the, the power of of his of his his keeping power, so to speak, or his, and I, my simple answer would be to just ask them, do you believe the word of God is powerful? And they would say yes. I would say, do you believe what Paul wrote in Romans one sixteen, uh, that you know he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. I would say, do you believe in the power of the gospel to transform a life in the preaching of the gospel? And they would say, certainly yes. And I would say, well, do you believe that some people could reject the gospel? They'll say, well, obviously. Then I'd ask, ah, so you believe then that the gospel is not really powerful then? You're denying the power of the gospel. And what would their response be? They would say, what would they say? I was sorry about that. I was, <laughs> well, if, I, if I asked yeah. that question, you know, yeah. you know, uh, they would say this. They would say, well, of course I believe the power of the gospel, but that's their, you know, that's their choice. Yeah. 
or if it's a Calvinist, they're being honest, they would say, well, they were predetermined not to believe it, you know. But uh, the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. That's the context. It's conditional. Salvation is conditional. So the, the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Jew first, also the Greek. The word of God is sharper than a, any two-edged sword. It's it, it's powerful, dividing bone and, and marrow and, you know, uh, soul and spirit is so powerful. But if someone rejects the word of God when you preach it, we don't turn around and say, oh, the word of God just isn't powerful. Oh, the gospel isn't powerful. Or, or if you say, hey, some people can reject the gospel. Oh, you must not believe it's powerful. No, I believe it's powerful. But God has set things up in such a way where he is going to redeem whosoever will. People, He wants people to be willing to acknowledge their sin. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So he's not good. He offers the gospel to all, but the condition is you must humble yourself. He gives grace to the humble. You must be converted, become like a little child, Jesus said, and humble yourself to get into the kingdom of God. So if someone refuses to accept the gospel and the power of God, that doesn't mean it's not powerful and powerful enough to save them. It certainly is, but it's conditioned. So I would say that to my Calvinist brother and sister. And then I would say the same thing is true with the gospel, the, 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 the saving power of God. It's also conditioned upon faith. We read in 1 Peter chapter five. 1, yeah, one five, five, yeah. We are kept by the power of God or preserved uh, by the power of God through faith, you know? So we're kept, his keeping powers through faith. Salvation is by faith. We come to him, we're saved by grace through faith. It's conditional from beginning to end. So as we are enjoying salvation, we're kept, it says. That's what, thus saith the word of God, 1 Peter 1, 5. We're kept by the power of God through faith. Now the Bible says the just shall live by faith, Hebrews 10, 38. The just shall live by faith, but if he draws back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. Okay, so it's very, very clear in Scripture uh, that we have to put our trust in Jesus and we have to continue to trust him. So if someone rejects Jesus in our heart, the Bible says your heart can grow cold. The church there at Ephesus, they'd left their first love. Jesus warned that many would fall away and the hearts would grow cold. So people can turn away from the living God and their hearts can become cold. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have the power to keep them, but he does not keep them against their will. And he doesn't turn them into robots before or after they get saved. There's not one Christian that says, yes, I love you, Jesus, and follows him perfectly. We still have a will, and we're warned that we're not to allow our hearts to become hardened. We're warned not to let our lamps burn out. We're warned to not let our love, our, our hearts grow cold, and not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Those warnings aren't just bluffs. They're, they're real warnings because those things can indeed happen to us. So it's an imperative that we as Christians understand uh, that that the, the Word of God, the Gospel, is powerful enough to save anybody, but they have to believe. And that God can keep anyone, but they can't reject Him and continue in a state of rejection because He gives them the freedom to reject His love. He doesn't rescind that condition until we're glorified with Him and we've been transformed. I, I would also, you know, when you consider that, that question uh, in regard to, you know, His power and whether His power is, you know, whether we're limiting his power by saying, you know, that we can fall away. Well, the scriptures everywhere say uh, that we can fall away. So do we say, uh, Jesus warned that as branches that are alive in him, that we can be broken off, thrown in the fire, and burned. He warned that we can be blotted out of the book of life, Revelation 3, 5. Uh, he warned that in Revelation twenty two nineteen in the revelation of Jesus Christ, that those who take away from his book can lose their place in the heavenly kingdom, everything that they have uh, stored up for them. So did Jesus basically limit uh, the power of God? And that that and, and somehow, and by the way, the way that question was couched, it sounds like 
somebody might be sharing with her that you're not accepting, really believing in, in, in Jesus' gospel the way you ought to. You're rejecting his sacrifices. If I remember the words you just read, you're rejecting his sacrifice if you don't believe OSAS. I thought, hmm. So it's basically saying you have to believe once saved, always saved <laughs> to be saved. Wow. So if you don't believe that any longer and you once believed that, do you lose your salvation? Well, obviously you can't according to that belief system. And also I'd, I'd pose this question. If you're saying you must believe once saved, always saved to be saved, you are preaching a different gospel because that's not the condition of salvation. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, he tells us that uh, the condition of salvation in verse 2, 1 and 2 there is belief in what? That Jesus died for our sins that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day. So by adding that on, that you have to believe that certain thing, and some people teach that, you know, some of those that are in the uh, evangelical grace movement under Wilkins and so forth have taught that. That's a heresy because they're, they're adding a condition to salvation that the scriptures don't, and that's teaching a different way of salvation, a different gospel, ironically. And by the way, I think it's also ironic when you look at Paul to find the gospel. I mean, I'm going a little on on this, but it's getting me a little fired up, man. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first couple of verses, Paul talks about them that he's concerned because he hopes he didn't preach to them in vain, meaning to no ultimate effect, that there's still fruit there, and that they didn't believe in vain, and that they continue to hold fast their faith in the gospel, which he goes on to say, verses 3 and 4, that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose again uh, uh, on the third day. So it's interesting when Paul declares this, is, I declare unto you the gospel, defines what it is, he also emphasizes continuing to believe. So you have not believed to no ultimate effect. So I'm supposed to ignore that and say, oh yeah, you don't really have to continue. And I don't tell somebody if they believe in what's saved, always saved, that they, they're not really saved. I tell people that can be a dangerous doctrine. It is for a lot of people because you can, can end up believing that you can't fall away. And the Bible says, take heed, let him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. It's very dangerous, especially the version of it that says you can fall away and still be saved. That's, that's actually from the serpent, man. Because Paul says, don't be deceived. Those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And a lot of the church is deceived to think they can live wicked lives. And we need to repudiate that doctrine and stamp it out wherever we find it. Yeah, and I think it's really important. That's why we do talk to it a lot, because we do meet a lot of believers who have fallen for this. And so often, it's about salvation. you know, we, we talk to them about it, and maybe they'll even bring up this person in my life, even if it's a, a child, a mother, a brother, a sister, a friend, or whatever it is. And it's like they're not following, but they're still okay, right? And for me, the urgency to recognize what is clearly called to us in Hebrews 3, 12 through 14 specifically, see to it, brethren, none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Mm-hmm. And I actually had First uh, Peter 1 pulled up. I know I was looking at the comments while Joe's trying to talk to me a little bit, but I had First Peter 1, 5 pulled up, and I could not think of something with more correlation to specifically Romans chapter 11, starting at verse, I think it's 17, specifically uh, about that we are now branches, and for you that are not Jews, right, that we are branches then coming in, an unnatural branch, but we're there through faith, and guess what? We're We're cut off when we no longer have that faith. And for me, to parallel that with 1 Peter 1, 5, which we've been studying a lot of 1 Peter, just some great text, obviously in 1 Peter and to see that you are kept by the power of God, and we're told it's through faith. And so it's the same thing when you're talking about specifically, you're talking about the power of God. It'd be similar 
to you plugging into that power or unplugging that power through your faith, the power is still there. It's always in there. And when you plug into that socket, you are in that socket and it's his power. That's not right. I remember getting a book when I was a young Christian. I would always raid the Christian bookstores and I got a book called Church Salvation by John MacArthur. And thankfully, by the grace of God, when I first got saved, I just was in the scripture. I hadn't read any Christian books and I was got really conversant with the word of God. Started discovering Christian books, some good, some bad, some mixed, you know. And John MacArthur in that, I believe that's the title of that book, have it in my library to this day. Very small little book. And he quotes 1 Peter 1, 5. We're kept by the power of God, period. He stops it right there. And I'm like, John, John, John. That's not what that scripture says. It says we're kept by the power of God through faith, you know. And it's like a universalist. You can't say, you know, <laughs> you know, Jesus died for the world. And, who, you know, and skip whosoever believes and act like everybody's saved. You can't tell people that, hey, we're kept, but not give them the condition through faith. Otherwise, you are teaching a not Christian universalism that everybody is saved, but everybody has been saved, that they somehow don't have the conditions that God has given them anymore, which is to continue to simply trust Jesus, the very thing we began our faith journey with. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.